Welcome to episode 16 of the Life Coach BFF podcast with Susan and Heather. We are talking with author Christy Woodson Harvey about her new bestseller, Feels Like Falling, that is on everyone's perfect summer reads list. And by everyone, I mean Southern Living, USA Today, Entertainment Weekly, Parade, Woman's World, Pop Sugar, Huffington Post, and more. Not only is Christy charming and brilliant, she is stylish as well. She blogs with her mom, Beth Woodson, on Design Chic, an award-winning blog. We are so excited for you to hear Christy, and we cannot wait to get started, so let's giddy up. to talk to you about your book, A Feels Like Falling. It is a bestseller, and I know why. I cannot put it down. Thank you. Well, y'all are so great. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited about getting to do this. Uh, We have too. So excited to talk to you. Yes, and I have to tell you, Christy, this is what we love about this book. Your book appeals to readers of all ages. I mean, oh, all the way you. across the board. It does. All the way. Thank Even you. two weeks ago, our 19-year-old daughter called from Seaside, Florida and said, Mama, I need to be studying for my online classes, but I cannot put feels oh. like falling down. That's amazing. Thank um, you to her. <laughs> well, it's just, it appeals to everyone of all ages, and that is huge. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's, um, you know, it's been really exciting. It's been a weird time to launch a book, as you guys well know. Um, right. I'm a big, I love to go on book tour. I usually go on book tour for about six weeks when a book comes out. And when we realized I wasn't going to be going on book tour, I mean, we panicked because we were like, what are we going to do? How are we going to launch a book without a book tour? And, um, you know, people have just stepped up in the biggest way and, um, you know, done Zooms and podcast recordings and all of these great things. And um, it's been my best launch ever. Like, I can't believe it. So fantastic. That's fantastic. That is awesome. It's never yeah. but, really, but I appreciate you having me because I mean, now more than ever, um, you know, this is how we're getting our information. So it's great. It definitely is. Well, we want to go right into gray. We are, aren't we dying to talk about gray, Susan? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I love gray. I love yeah. gray. I, I am, um, I will tell you, I'm probably a cross okay. between Marcy and Ansley. I just started on your yes. um, peach tree series. <laughs> um, that's amazing. I love it. That's like the best comparison I've ever heard. <laughs> And I know everything about you now. I'm like, okay, I got her. I know Susan now. Yeah. <laughs> Done. <You> do. Check. <laughs> you do. Uh, but sadly, I, um, out of all the people in the book, Heather and I were laughing about this. We identified more with Gray's age. so that tells you something else about us no I mean I think that's a really good thing and I say all the time you know you're I think life is different now and you know I mean when you know you're reading Ansley I mean she's 58 and that is not my grandmother's 58 you know I mean yeah I'm 57 I was like oh my gosh I'm Ansley (laughs) well I mean but you know she is she could be my friend just as easily, you know? And so I think that's, um, that's a really good thing, but I'm glad that you related to gray. And I feel like 
you know, Gray is 35 in this book. She's getting ready to turn 35. She's actually my age. I'm turning 35 in <laughs> three weeks. That's such a three weeks. Dun, dun, dun. Oh um, <laughs> that does feel big though. That's, but that's but the funny thing is, thing. as you guys know, because you've read the book, like Gray is having this, you know, crisis about turning 35 and I am having no crisis about turning 35. I like, it's just going to sail on by me. And I, and I didn't care about turning 30. I cared a lot about turning 25. That was like a big, I don't know why. I don't know if it was somewhere in the back of my mind. I had this idea that like, okay, I'm 25. I need to start figuring my life out. Like, I don't, and I mean, I guess that's the typical quarter life crisis age. I don't know. Um, I think so. I mean, by 25, it's like, I'm, I'm a full-fledged adult. I can't fake right. it anymore. Right. Like I have to like do something productive for society. So, you know, here we are. Um, but no, I totally, and, and I, but I loved writing her and that was kind of fun to, um, I think she seems older than she is because she like, she got an early start. I mean, she has a good mm -hmm. a company that she's built, you know, she's been married and is going through a divorce. She has an eight-year-old child, which I do too. And, you know, a lot of my friends are just having their first babies right now. So far mm -hmm. and away, I mean, I got married. I was a child bride. I got married at 22 and not really, <laughs> um, but, and I had little Will at 26 and you know, I was just, that was years before my friends were doing those things. And they were like, what is happening? <laughs> um, so I think, you know, probably seems a little older than she is because she is, you know, she's yeah. She's done a lot in her life, I guess. Yeah. Well, you, you probably feel to some extent the same way because you're ahead of your friends and they probably call you for advice. Well, the funny thing is, so one of my like really best friends just had her first baby and um, she called me the other day and she was like, we all need to apologize to you because we did not understand. Like they would give me such a hard time. Like, what do you mean you can't go to girls weekend? I mean, Will's three months old, I, you know, like that kind of thing. Like they just yeah. had no concept because they were 26 and like out and about. And I was like, I had this new baby, you know, and they're like, we just didn't know. Like we had no idea. And we <laughs> can't believe all this stuff. Like I threw all their bachelorette parties and like, and they were like, how did you do all of this when you had this time? So they were like, okay, apologies. We, we, uh, <laughs> I love it. Okay. I really want to talk about Andrew. Okay. I really want to talk about Andrew because so I sent you that picture. I messaged you that picture from the tennis court because I read a good portion of the book from my two boys tennis clinic. Yes. And, and, and the best part was that I messaged you back and said, can we push the podcast recording a few minutes? Because I'm taking my son to tennis. <laughs> but I do not have a crush on the tennis pro. I promise you. <laughs> well, we didn't think that you did. We didn't think that you did. But it was kind of funny because I would read it on my iPad and then I would kind of glance up. <laughs> and think, wonder what's going on here. But I have to tell you this. So 35, like Susan said, 35 is truly my spirit age. So I turn okay. 49 next month. Mm -hmm. But 35 is my spirit age. Yeah. And so when we got introduced to Andrew's mother, mm -hmm. and Andrew's mother, now this was a slap in the face for me. <laughs> <laughs> because I was feeling pretty good. And then Andrew's 
mother came along and I went, oh no, that's me. I'm Andrew's mother. I'm not gray. <laughs> that's the beautiful thing about fiction is you can be whichever character you want to be. <laughs> well, as, and like, it will make you, I mean, and it makes me laugh because like I just turned in Under the Southern Sky, which is my book for next year. I'm getting off topic, but this is related to your point. And the women and the mothers in this book seem so much older than like Ansley. And I just think that's such a comment because it doesn't matter how old you are. Like some people always seem vastly different ages. Right. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it was a dose of reality for me because I have a 23 year old daughter and I have a son-in-law who is that in that age range of Andrew. So I was kind of like, Whoa, I am the 49 year old mom. <laughs> June and Henry are set in my mind. They were 75. Right. Like I had the, they were the cutest 75 year old couple at the yacht club. And then when I, I it was like, I kind of just breezed over how old she was. <laughs> well it's it is funny and like right now I'm writing a 26 year old character and I'm writing her grandmother and my grandmother's 94 and I started thinking about it and I was like her grandmother could be like way younger than that you know I mean it's, mm -hmm. it's like an interesting when you're like oh and you know I'm used to like basing characters off of like years that I really remember like years I graduated high school or years I graduated college. And now I'm like, huh, I'm going to have to like, it's like, oh my gosh. I was like, I'm actually going to have to get like, like a, I can't remember what you call them, but like, you know, a reader that's like the age of the character to like, make sure that I'm getting this right. Like it's the first time I'll ever have to do that. But like, I really, I was like, okay, like, I don't know that I'm any, that I can, that I'm qualified to write a 26 year old anymore. Like, what do they say? Like, you know, <laughs> I say the word like a lot, a lot. Okay. A lot. Every, every, if you need to know what a 19 year old or 20 something year old, it, it's the word like, like, and the lingo changes every two weeks. I know, and if you yes. say something that they said a month ago, they will go oh, very uncool. Well, and that's the concerning part is because, you know, I'll write this book and then it won't come out for a year. So anything that they said that was cool, by the time the book comes out, it's going to be like, Oh no, that's not good. Exactly. Although I'm probably going to have to set it in like 2017 because you know, we can't set anything in 2020 now. No. I know. I mean, I know. I mean you, you could, but it would be a not very interesting it, it would be book. Fake. It'd be yes. characters yeah, it sitting be at home apocalyptic or, by themselves. You know. Yeah. Like, yes. so that's a lot of fun. That's what we all want to see is characters in their houses for months on end. Wow. <laughs> it would be a book about a time of reflection. <laughs> that's right. And that's it. <clears throat> a good way to put it, Heather. That was much nicer than how I said it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, Quinn. So we, we've gotten a big kick out of Quinn too, Christy. I love her. We love Quinn. We, we love, it just, she was. Yeah, so we fun. like the wild Quinn. We mm -hmm. think that wild Quinn is fun. Mm -hmm. No, I like her too. And it's so weird that so often when I write books, the secondary characters are like my favorite people. So like, I love Quinn. I love Marcy, who's Gray's best Grace. friend, who we talked uh -huh. about for a minute. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, she was just funny to me because I wanted, I wanted this book to be light and weirdly, 
it came out at the perfect time when people kind of needed a light book, you know? And then, I mean, yeah. I think there's definitely like, there's some substance to it as well, but I wanted it to be funny. And so I thought, okay, well, how do I make this situation with Gray and Quinn so that Gray is dealing with something real with her sister, but that it's also kind of funny. And I thought, okay, well, we know we can do this. Like have her marrying the, you know, pseudo cult leader and, you know, Gray trying to extract her and get her into the witness protection program. Like it's sad, but it's funny. I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's real live. The book, that's what I love so much about the book because it was so funny and light. And it also had things that were just heartbreaking, yeah. but they handled it in such a way. It, it reminded me, and I don't know, maybe it's everybody on that well on everyone's job. Anyway, it's, it reminded me so much of the way um, that Heather and I are, that, you know, you're good friends. Like you're still, you're still able to make each other laugh, even in the darkest of times. Right. And, you know, they're, they're just always there for you. Right. And I wanted to um, ask you this. Um, your, um, your, the character, you know, Gray, she, you wrote so truthfully and authentically about her feelings about her mom dying. Mm. And it really resonated with me because, um, when I was probably, my mom died of cancer when I was probably in my early 30s, 33, 34, right around 32. Right around that time. Now, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, it was, but what, what I was, I was dealing with, and we were dealing with infertility at the time. And she was really ill. And I did not tell her what was going on in my life. And I, it was so much like Gray's story, how she just didn't tell her mom what was going on. And so I was um, struck with how authentically you described all that. And you have not gone through that. So my question is, as a writer, how do you do that? Like, how do you know, how, how do you do that? You know what's weird is that I am not a super like outwardly emotional person. Like I am not the person that like is going to, you know, cry over that. I mean, like, I am just, I'm pretty like in here, like, you know, you know not a lot. Of, I mean, it's, it's, there's not a lot, yeah. but it's like everything that I think or feel or have like, you know, it's like, it all comes out in those pages instead of like through me. It's so strange. I don't know how to explain it another way, but, um, but I, well, for one thing, um, my mother-in-law was um, passing away, like while this was all going on. But I actually wrote this book in 2016 and then rewrote it in 2019. And during that time, um, Hurricane Florence had hit late 2018. We had lost our house. We had called in hospice for her like three days before we evacuated. So just the stress of trying to figure out what do you do? Like she had to, she couldn't stay here. Like we had to go. Um, and there was just, it was a very, it was just a crazy time where everything was just untethered. We didn't have a house for 18 months. She was dying. We were trying to, you know, just, there was a lot happening. Um, that's not necessarily the same as the things the characters in this book were going through, but I think it, it, that feeling of being untethered was something that I could really put into the story because yes. you know, okay. I was not untethered in the same way as these characters were, yeah. but I knew that feeling of just sort of yeah. feeling at a loss. Um, yeah. Just completely but undone, but you couldn't do it. You just had to keep yeah, going. But you, 
you just keep going. And in some ways it was like her death around the time of all those other things that were going on. It like put it into perspective in so many ways. Um, mm-hmm. cause it was like, well, I mean, yeah, it was all our stuff and it's hard and it was stressful, but it wasn't as big as her death, you know, so, yeah. or, or her, her process of dying. Like, so it, yeah. was, it was sort of a weird situation where, um, what, what would have been a really traumatic thing was much less traumatic because we were going through something more traumatic, um, which everyone goes through, you know, so it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I do think too, that I was really struck by, um, I think anger is a very common reaction to someone's death that we don't Mm -hmm. talk about very much. Um, and I had had some, I had had a really good friend that had lost a parent and um, when he was younger and he said it was so strange, it took him a really long time to realize that he was like angry at his dad for dying. And obviously his dad couldn't help it that he died. That wasn't his fault, but somehow, Mm -hmm. you know, you can sort of internalize those feelings. And so I really, I wanted Gray to have that feeling of anger because I didn't think that was something that we read about a whole lot. And I wanted Diana to be the person that helps her realize that she's mad at her mom. Um, Yeah. And then there to be a reason, but I, I'm surprised at the number of, it's so sweet. Like I still, people write me letters a lot and I love it. It's so great. Um, and I've gotten a lot of letters from people who have lost a child. And that was such a small blip in that story about, you know, Gray's mother losing a child and how that felt for her. Um, yeah. I've gotten so many letters about that from people, which I think is really, really interesting. I'm making this book sound really depressing. It's really, it's uplifting guys. <laughs> it's very uplifting. It is very uplifting. <laughs> a lot of death, but it's super uplifting. No. <laughs> I did not feel sad one time while I read no, this book. No, not no, it's time. really not. It's not sad. It's not sad. And, um, and, you know, you're seeing all of these things sort of in the past too. So, uh, but yeah, I, I do think that I'd sort of put all that in there, but it's just weird how sometimes I sit down to start writing something and I just, I just know how that feels. Like when I wrote, um, lies and other acts of love, I've probably gotten more letters about that than anything else because I wrote a woman who's in her late eighties and she is taking care of a husband, um, after a stroke and moving into assisted living and doing all these sort of rites of passage that people tend to go through when they're, you know, of that age. Um, and I get so many letters about that, like, what? And I was 25 when I wrote that book. So, you know, it's, it's strange to just, but I just felt like, I don't know. It's like, sometimes you can just kind of become someone else. And I think that's mm-hmm. the magic of writing is getting to be all of these people, a lot of them that you'll never be. And some of them that maybe you will be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, I was listening to an interview that you did and now I've forgotten her name, but it was, it was a, a girl that reviewed she does a lot of reading and and whatnot. And, um, you were talking about how you don't plot your books out, that you're kind of a a pantser, I guess. Um, and I, I, I didn't, I've just recently realized that there's some like incredible authors that do that. And it's okay to do that. Like Lee Child that writes all the Jack Reacher books is a pantser, which blew my mind because those are the most intricately plotted Mm -hmm. books. I was like, how does that even happen? Mm-hmm. But I just love that that's like how you do it. And I'm wondering, like, does the book ever turn out different than you thought? And do you ever, do your characters ever just refuse to go along with your, your storyline? Totally. I mean, I remember, and, and this was a really good question for feels like falling in particular, 
because I vividly remember finishing this book and my husband was at a conference and I was with him and I'd spent the whole day in our hotel room, like finishing this book. And I went downstairs and met him for dinner. And I was like, the book turned out the exact opposite way that I thought it was going to. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Did you not write it? I'm confused. Like, and I was like, I don't know how to, it just, it just wasn't who Gray was anymore. You know, like the person that I thought she was going to be at the end of this story and who I thought she was going to end up with and how I thought that was all going to unfold was completely different. And it's so fun when that happens. Um, but yes, completely. And like to the point that, um, so you had mentioned reading my Peachtree Bluff series or starting my Peachtree Bluff series. And I actually wrote the Peachtree Bluff series after I wrote Feels Like Falling um, because an editor reached out to me and asked me to write that series. And I had a really tight deadline for it because we were trying to stay on publication schedule. And usually, you know, you have to turn in something to get a book deal. It's not just like, oh, let's have a phone conversation and go for it, honey. Good luck. Um, but I, we were in such a tight deadline and I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I can make up an outline for you, but I have no idea what's going to happen in this book. Like, I cannot tell you. And throughout the course of that story, just the way that the characters changed and the way that, um, you know, the story changed around them. It's like the most fun thing. And um, a friend of mine who's also a writer, who is also a pantser, says it's like being a reader. You know, you're discovering the story along with the reader and the characters become your friends. I mean, it's like when you meet someone for the first time and then you know them for, you know, a year, you have a very different relationship with them than when you started. So I think yes. it makes sense. Um, but I'm working on a historical novel right now and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to leave my pantsing ways aside. I'm going to have to plot out this book because I mean, it's historical and it's four viewpoints and it's, you know, centuries of time and I'm going to have to outline it. And I sat down and started writing it and I'm a hundred pages in and I have not plotted one single word. So I, it's just how my brain works. I don't know. Well, I feel like, um, because I kind of have started dabbling in writing and I feel like when you create a character that's really, um, well-rounded and filled out, they have their own life. Yes. And so when they don't want to go along with your plot, it's mm -hmm. because it's not true to their character. Right. And, and I just, I don't, it's exciting to me. I just find that really exciting. <laughs> and I don't know, it is so exciting. And I don't know if you've ever found this, but um, I think what's really interesting too is that I can't necessarily sit here right now and have like a quiet, peaceful moment and think about what's going to happen in the book. Like that doesn't happen for me until I am like on the page. And sometimes it's kind of a panicky feeling because you have to really learn to start to trust that I'm going to get to the page and this story is going to unravel for me. But every single time I sit down to start over, I have this panic that I'm not going to be able to do it again. Or I'll be, you know, I'll be reading my last book for the last time and I'll think, well, I could never do that again. I mean, I don't know where all that stuff came from and I'll never be able to write another book. And I read an interview with Danielle Steele recently, you know, who's written like 165 novels or something. And she said it happens to her every time. And I was like, okay, wow. well, that's good. So I guess we're all just insecure <laughs> by nature. And maybe that will never go It's just part of the process. Away. We'll part just call it process. part of the magic. <laughs> yeah, part of the magic. That's exactly right. Spin that a little bit. I like it. <laughs> Um, what about, so I wanted to talk about how all of your characters, they were not afraid to do something really scary. And that is our theme. Susan and I have said, we're not afraid to do scary things. 
I love that. And we've seen that as a common theme throughout this book. But mm -hmm. Ray, in particular, when she was making the decision, I don't want to give away the book because it's such a great book. But between spoiler alert, <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. I don't want to fast give forward. <laughs> right, fast forward. So Price and Andrew, mm -hmm. that was really, really interesting to me. The decision making process mm -hmm. in the leak. Yeah. And I, and I do think, you know, it's a scary thing. And I, um, it's, it's hard to follow your heart sometimes, as you guys well know. Um, and I think we all are at crossroads in our lives sometimes when, as I say in my talk, you know, life is about, this is not grammatically correct, but in the course of the talk, it makes sense. But I say life's about, you know, quitting being afraid or being afraid yeah. and doing it anyway. And I think that's Gray's story. She's afraid. Like she doesn't want to do this, but she kind of gets to this point where the fear of not doing it is greater than the fear of doing it. And I think in some ways, everything that I write kind of mirrors my journey as a writer, because I got to this point where I was terrified to write, was terrified to share my work with the world. I didn't want to have to look for an agent because I knew there was going to be a ton of rejection. And there were all those things, but you get to this point where the fear of looking back and thinking, I never took that leap is bigger than the fear of the rejection that you are going to face 100%. There is no chance of coming away from that beautifully unscathed. It's just not reality. I've never met a single writer on the planet that has never been rejected. Um, so, you know, it is a scary thing, especially when you kind of feel like you're pretending to be someone that you aren't. And I think we all go through that of like feeling like, absolutely. Yeah. Fake it I'm that. not, yeah. Like I'm not the person to be the writer. I'm not the person to start the podcast. Well, what do I know about starting a blog? Well, what do I know about starting a company or haven't had as much artistic training as that person has? You know, we all go through that sort of imposter syndrome. I yes. Think. That's what I was going to say. Imposter yes. syndrome. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yes. And I think we all like, um, I don't know. My, my husband reads all this stuff. Um, and about, you know, ego and all of these things. I've been, I listen to these books with him sometimes. And it is so interesting when you start to think like, okay, well, and I tell myself this now, I'm like, that's just my ego talking. Like, it's okay. Like if it doesn't work, it's fine. Or, and I think the more you put yourself out there and the more you do something new, it doesn't always work. But I think we have this feeling kind of when we start to do new things that like everyone's <laughs> watching us and really like yeah. everybody's just watching themselves. No. Else cares? I think that's the freedom of getting older. You realize how unimportant you are to people. That's what my mom always says. She's like, "Oh, just wait a few years. You won't care about that anymore." It's, it's exactly. So, and you have to, you have to be unafraid of failure. Yes, you have to be unafraid of failure, and you have to be. This is what I tell our girls all the time: Don't be afraid of the word no. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's part of it. It's part of it. It's part of it. Yes. And I do think starting to look at, and I can look back on my life now already and see like these really defining moments where I felt like it was all over for me. And all that was happening was that something that wasn't so great for me was moving out of the way so that something really great could come in. And, you know, maybe that doesn't happen every time. Maybe sometimes a failure is just a failure, but I think, um, I love, I'm, 
I'm a nerd, but I love um, Oprah and Deepak Chopra do these like meditations together. And Oprah always says in her meditations that, you know, it's just life moving you in a different direction. Yes. And I think that's yes. so powerful. And I mean, who better to tell you that than Oprah? Like she's obviously moved <laughs> in a few different directions and she's coming on okay. You know, she's, <laughs> she's done all right. But it's exciting to think about it that way, like life moving you in a different direction because it you know, makes you think you don't have to stay in the same spot. Oh, we think it's so exciting. Susan and I are both at a time in our lives where I've got one foot in the door of empty nesting with two younger, uh, we have two younger children, two older children. And then she had, she had four graduations, Christy, in May. Susan did. <laughs> four graduations. <laughs> How is I that possible? I circumstance in my sleep now. <laughs> I've triplets graduated from high school and then our older daughter graduated from college. You have triplets. My best friend is a triplet. My best friend who this book is dedicated to is a triplet. Really? Yeah. Yep. Oh, sure that's so much fun. Yes. Um, now it is. I'm sure when they were babies, it was not quite as fun. It was mass chaos. I don't remember a whole lot of it. <laughs> That's what her mom said. She's like, I don't, I don't know if it was or it wasn't because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I look back at the pictures and like just the background, you know, of the house. We've had to pull up a lot, all these, you know, baby pictures sure. for the kids' graduation. And yeah. the background in our house was absolute chaos. Like even when it was clean, it was absolute I can't just even visual imagine. chaos. This is crazy. I can imagine. And wow. So you really <laughs> did go from a full nest to an empty nest. I mean, it was not like they went one, two, three, four. You went from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. We went from zero to four babies in less than three years. <laughs> and now we're going. Wow. And now you're going from four babies to zero. <laughs> I mean, yeah. unbelievable. Um, well, this we, is have one we have one baby that'll be with us. He's okay. got, he has autism, so he'll be here with us, but, okay. um, okay. but yeah, so three, but the, you know, Nancy, a hard time to find a job right now. So the yeah. one that's come home from college well, is here I'm, with us for a little while. We were talking so much about, um, about in, in the Peachtree Bluff series, all three of the daughters end up coming back home to live with their mother, which what, was something that was just like randomly. And it wasn't like, I feel like that's very, it's very ordinary when the kids are just getting out of college and they're kind of like in between. But mm -hmm. my mom was like, oh my gosh, all these people all of a sudden in like, you know, their early thirties are like, okay, I'm making a major life change. I'm going to come home for a little while. And she's like, all the parents are like, what, what, what do you mean? Like we've been empty nesters for a long time. And you know, all the kids are like, oh, mom and dad are going to be thrilled. And really it's like, <laughs> They've moved on. You know? <laughs> Heather and I have had this uh, discussion before. Yeah. yeah, but we were like, well, that's really resonant now because, you know, I had so many friends that lived in big cities that have come home to stay with their parents in small towns just to escape. Of course, thinking this was going to be like a month and it's been yes. like, you know, like, oh, well, it was like, well, I'm going to go back in May. Well, I'm going to go back in July. Well, I'm going to go back in September. <laughs> Maybe here for Christmas. <laughs> Never know. We, we cannot control the pandemic. But that is true. That is well, true. Christy, we know that you have, a you have places to be, and we cannot thank you enough. And I have one word for you for your next novel to consider. Okay, okay good. And that's Graceland, because we want you to come to Memphis. 
Oh my gosh, y'all. How good would a Graceland book be? Oh. Well, I told you I love Memphis and I had this, one of my favorite book events I've ever done was in Memphis. It was like maybe three years ago. And I know I told you this in the email, but I'll tell everybody else too. But um, the two women that were orchestrating this event, I just got to be like really good friends with them. And we have kept up and like we text all the time and we like travel together and stuff. It's so fun. And we just met at this random event. And so you just never know. So Well, anyway. you need to come because Susan yes. and I have already made plans. We're going to dress in sequins. In honor I mean, I want to do that. And we're going to be there at Christmas time for the white Christmas tree. That's yes, amazing. <laughs> I have to do that. And my dad is a big Elvis fan. So that would sort of be like a tribute to him too. I feel yeah. like he needs well, Bring he your parents, really bring your husband, bring your son. We would love to Yes. Y'all are amazing. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I feel like I could chat with you all. I know. Yeah. I feel like that too. I'm like, oh, are we already done? That was so fun. I just feel like I talked with my friends for a few minutes. That was all. Well, you did. You did. Yeah. We're happy to call you our, our new BFF, Christy. Yes. 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 I love it. Thank y'all so much. And let me know um, what I can do for y'all. When this well, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yes. We'll get, get yourself a sequin outfit because we are going to Graceland, baby. And maybe a tiara. I feel like, yes. you know, you should have yes. a tiara to go with your sequins. I mean, I don't know. I don't, we don't want to go too over the do, top. No, we, we could do some research for your next <laughs> book just to kind of try it out on the crowd. People I think you can be too over the top at Graceland. I don't think there is such a thing. There's you no can't, such you can't, Yeah, you can't top the jungle room. No. Okay, ladies. Wait. Well, thank you so much, Christy. Bye. Thank y'all so much. Talking to you soon. Have a okay. great afternoon. Y'all too. Bye. Bye. We have exciting news. Our friends and supporters at Denison Travel can't wait to help you plan your next adventure. Go to denisontravel.com where your journey awaits. Mm -hmm.